Welcome to the Mindful News Podcast. I'm your host, Guy, and co-hosting today is my good friend and musician, Jonathan Baker. Today, we have the grand pleasure of speaking with Vijamala Birch, who's a mindfulness teacher, writer, and co-founder of Breathworks, an international mindfulness organization known particularly for developing mindfulness-based pain management. We pick up a story from the age of 17, where Vijimala injured her spine, and this required multiple surgeries and left her with a complex back condition. So throwing this coupled with another severe accident led Vijimala to live a life of dealing with chronic pain. We talk about her inspiring story and what led her to mindfulness and what led her to co-found the Breathworks organization in 2001. Her books include Mindfulness for Health, a practical guide to relieving pain, reducing stress and restoring well-being, co-written by one of our former podcast guests, Danny Penman, and also Mindfulness for Women, Declutter Your Mind, Simplify Your Life, and Find Time to Be, co-written by Claire Irvin, and Living Well with Pain and Illness, The Mindful Way to Free Yourself from Suffering. And it goes like this, that when you experience a pain, it's as if you're pierced by an arrow or a dart. And the, un, the person with the untrained mind knows of no other response than to resist and resent that arrow. And then it's as if they're pierced by a second arrow. So now they have the pain of two arrows. Whereas the person who's trained their mind, they will still have the pain of the first arrow because if you've got a body and a mind, you're still gonna have a discomfort but they do not resist and resent that arrow. So they're not pierced by the second arrow and they only have the pain of one arrow. So it's a beautiful teaching. There's a lot of of research emerging around the nervous system and how a lot of us have got dysregulated nervous systems and we're just Mm -hmm. in this kind of hyper aroused state all the time. We're in a threat state all the time. Yes. Because that's our default setting. That's the default setting, is survival is paramount. But we can learn, we can change that through training, through practice. And one of the phrases which I often use is, is you can get your mind working with you rather than against you. So when someone says to me, what's mindfulness? I say, it's getting your mind working with you rather than against you. We're not alone, yeah. I mean, uh, and, and another big part of my approach my teaching what what i try to bring into my life is love and kindness you know that mindfulness isn't a cool aloof sort of analytical activity it can be but i think true mindfulness is very warm very rich very kind very empathetic you know that's very very dear to me all those qualities So it's like I am here, but I'm here as a flow. And also I have the possibility of um, experiencing what I sometimes call blue sky mind, experiencing a quality of awareness, which is free, boundless, open, loving. And I can do those two things at the same time on a good day. So here I am. And at the same time, there's, there's, um, something bigger something much much bigger then that's really mysterious so that that's impossible to really explain you can find out more at vijamala's next event or purchase her books and other resources at vijamala-birch.com full link in the bio this podcast is sponsored by be present limited providing executive management courses to reduce stress to be more productive but ultimately learn how and why to be present so more info on that at bepresent.uk. Also visit mindfulnews.uk for all our podcasts, our collection of powerful video clips, and our growing library of free guided meditations, including this week's latest release called A 5-Minute Meditation for When We Don't Really Have the Time. This is the Mindful News Podcast. I'm your host, Guy, on our continuing mission to help as many people as possible through organic growth. If you enjoy the conversation and benefit from it, share it with someone and pay it forward. So I'm Vidyamala Birch, and I'm one of the co-founders of Breathworks, which is one of the it's one of the bigger uh, mindfulness teacher training organisations in the UK, and we also work internationally. We've been going since 2000, so you know we're very established now.
And uh, I've developed a program called MBPM, which is mindfulness based pain management. And that's completely come out of my own journey. So I often say it, it's a program. It's a program that has developed from the inside out. And that's because I've lived with severe spinal pain since 1976. <laughs> that's so long ago, I can't even do the maths how many years <laughs> that is, but it's, it's a really long time. <clears throat> Excuse me. And when I was 16, I injured my spine uh, in a lifting accident, went on to have major surgery, problems from that, more major surgery. And then five years later, I was in a car crash and fractured another part of my spine. So by the time I was in my mid twenties, I had severe pain. Um, I was more mobile than I am now. I use a crutches and wheelchair now. I was still fairly mobile, but you know, my life was not good. It was not a happy place to be, I must say. Then when I was 25, I had some tests that went wrong and I ended up in hospital for several weeks um, and a, a brief period of time in an intensive care ward. And there was one night, I've talked about this a lot in different places because it was, I often say it's the night uh, where I had this moment in the night, which is the axis upon which my life has turned. It's been like I had a life, a life prior to that point and a life since that point. And what the point was, what the experience was that I was in absolute agony. I was in a way going quite mad with the pain and the distress around the pain which I've come to realize later on, it's the distress around the pain, which of course is, is what's tormenting, not the actual experience of pain. So I had this whole drama going on in my mind about how I couldn't stand it, I was gonna go mad. It was unbearable. Um, I mean, it really was like torture. And then a voice came to me in the middle of this experience and the voice said, you don't need to get through till the morning because my whole big thing was, oh, I can't bear it. How am I going to get through till the morning? And the voice said, you don't have to get through till the morning. You just have to live this moment and this one and this one and this one. And my whole experience changed. You know, I mean, it's, it's, interesting. it's a long time ago and I can sort of um, um, sort of sanitize the experience in retrospect as if, oh, it completely changed and I saw the light. It wasn't quite like that. I was still very lost, confused young woman. But there was something that did really, really profoundly change. Uh, I think it was to do with confidence. I thought, Oh, yes, I can do this. I can live this moment and this one and this one and this one. Um, it was very visceral. It was like it, it, my whole body, every cell in my body knew the truth of that voice, that insight. I knew it was completely true that it was all about just being present and the subsequent <clears throat> years have really been all about well what does that mean what does that mean like I tasted something very directly when I was 25 years old <clears throat> when I was um you know in hell something rose up that that had the flavor and the ring of truth and then it's like the rest of my life, okay, what does that mean? How can I be present? How can I be more present? And philosophically, things like time and space fell apart. Like what's, what is this morning anyway that I'm all tormented about? I realized it was just a mental construction. Um, there was a taste of a, a quality of consciousness, I suppose, that was much more boundless, much freer, even though I, I didn't know that then, but looking back, something was coming through that had quite a different quality to it. So that got me on the path, really, that that got me on the path of well, what is the mind? What does it mean to be present? What is space? What is time? What is consciousness? Who am I? What is the mind? But was it a and, fun path? Was it something exciting? Was it did it give you like this hope when you had all that despair? It was like, like you said, you poked your head around the door, you know, you, what has been seen cannot be unseen. And it's like the rest of the life then pursuing that. But was it a fun pursuit? You know, was it something that you were excited to go to go and discover more? Fun. <laughs> yeah, like oh, an adventure and exciting, almost like trying to answer a philosophical question, right? And you're, and you're pondering and or was it? 
Yeah, more, I mean, I more think... out of necessity. Well, I think it was out of necessity. Yeah. It was a bit like the options were pretty bleak. It, it's it was either I keep on being tortured or I find another way. And in a way that's been brilliant, has been brilliant for me that I'm following this path because I really, really, really need to. It's not it's not an optional like, optional extra. Yeah. It's not an add on. It's but like my life had completely unraveled. I, yeah. My back was terrible. Um, I'd had a bit of a, a kind of breakdown around that time because I'd, I'd been trying to hold on to the old way of being with a body that was broken and that wasn't working anymore. So I slammed into a, a cliff in a way, metaphorically speaking, I'd really sort of hit the rocks. Um, and then this this other way erupted in my being and it was like, well, I have to do this. I have yeah. to do this. Yeah. And it had the taste of freedom for sure. Wouldn't say it's been fun all the way along because of course, when you start to look at the mind, when you start to examine sort of who am I and you start to see your habits, that's also quite sobering. It's also very confronting. You know, I, I had to face all my habits of being very driven, um, being kind of a bit self-destructive in a certain kind of way, not, not, not through in anything, anything malicious in myself towards myself, but just through the sheer weight of habit, this habit of I can overcome this pain through sheer willpower. That was very strong habit in me. And that all came tumbling down. I thought, well, no, I can't overcome this with willpower. So, but that meant I had to try and change the habits. Well, that's not a lot of fun trying to change very deep habits, but the that door opening a little bit more widely over the years, that's been exquisitely beautiful, exquisitely beautiful. Yeah, because it reminds me of, you know, when Neckhart Tolle talks about that, you know, when he was at his worst and on that punk bench, and he says, you know, I can't live with myself anymore. And in that moment of, you know, the I and the self, you know, and he's separating it. And that was his little, the trigger and then the rest of the life being pursuing, what does it actually mean? There's an eye in the self. And it seemed like when you, when you yeah, mentioned your similar. Story, yeah, yeah, the idea of absolute, you know, the end of your tether and this, this all of a sudden, this self-realization, you, you've learned something, you tapped into something very, very profound. And yeah. it was maybe not too sure what it is, but it was something that, you know, you then pursue for the rest of your life and still, still pursuing today. Yeah, and I, I find it all very mysterious because it isn't like there I was as a 25 year old girl thinking, oh, you know, I've had this big insight. My way is clear. It wasn't like that. No, it was yeah. more, I was in a desperate state. And, you know, even I don't really understand what made me stick with this path because I have stuck with it very consistently, very wholeheartedly. Um, I find all that so fascinating and mysterious, these deep, deep intuitions. You know, I'm a very intuitive person. I'm much more of an intuitive person than a thinker. Yeah. So it isn't like I sort of think this is what I need to do. It's more like I listen and then something's emerging over time. And then I look back and I think, wow, I, I saw that 20 years ago. How amazing. But, um, you, you know, I, I, I sometimes surprise myself because it isn't like I, I don't sort of have, I'm not someone who sits down and writes out a life plan at all. It's more things happen and unfold and happen and unfold. And then I arrive somewhere and I think how amazing that I've arrived here. And then I look back and I can see all the steps that have got me there. Um, but I'm, I'm very interested in the mysterious nature of the mind and life. Yeah. And it's like it. Go ahead, John. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, no, absolutely. Go ahead. It, it, it almost sounds like it feels like we get to a point where we need to be thankful for our misfortunes and we reach a certain point of what we feel is suffering, that the mind labels as suffering, and we reach a point where, I don't know what word to use, but almost an awakening where... Mm -hmm. Like uh, Guy, I've heard you talk in the past about you know the the white square and the black square in front of you, and you you make the choice, the decision to walk in the white one or or 
or step to the black square. And I think once you reach that level of of pain to where nothing, even medications or anything helps, and you just like, that's the point you get to. And if you choose to walk onto that white square, that's when all the, the liberation of suffering starts to occur and, and all the magic, if you will, starts to unfold. Hmm. Do you feel that way? Or? I do. Um, I'm always a little bit nervous of sort of the language of, oh, my pain is my greatest good fortune because I'm always aware of people hearing that because it can sound, you know, actually you're just really hurting your life's a mess. And someone saying, well, maybe it's, maybe it's your doorway to freedom. It may well not feel like that. And it hasn't felt like that for me a lot of the time, you know, that, that I think it probably was some kind of an awakening experience that I had, but over the subsequent, you know, however many years it is, 40 years or something, well, I started meditating, in 1985 so i think it's about you know 35 37 years i've been meditating and i have had times that have been joyful even blissful very fulfilling and i've had times that have been really hard and i think the path of of unfolding and the path of opening and the far path of deepening it's not just that it gets better and better and more and more blissful in a straight line at all I don't think for anybody, I think you, you, we have these sort of cycles of opening and then more kind of stuff emerges that needs to be integrated and processed and transformed. Yeah. And that can be really hard. So I've had some, <laughs> some, had some hard times, I've had some blissful times, but overall, if I look at how I am now generally, my general state now compared with 35 years ago, it's unimaginably better unimaginably better and I don't think I would have tasted what I've tasted in my life if I hadn't had my injuries yeah. I think that's true I don't think I would have my life would have unfolded very differently if I hadn't had my injuries yeah. but that doesn't mean to say oh hooray I love my injuries and I think that's the that's where I think the way we express this needs to be quite subtle yeah. because in a way you wouldn't wish huge yes. suffering on anybody right. but the fact I know that's that not what you were saying but i'm just aware of the listeners i always like to be quite nuanced about this yeah and i'm going to say but the fact is whether you you have disabilities or injuries or whatever the case may be we we all have thinking right and most of the time it's thoughts that maybe negative or to-do list or not useful or we if we had the choice we wouldn't want to be thinking that in that moment and you know that's why you know and you come to talk about it as well and what you know dr william kuchen from oxford mindfulness center causes the first arrow and the second arrow yeah it, it, it's um and i think you you phrase it slightly differently but with primary and secondary suffering whereby being the you know, the, the first one is the inevitable, like you break your leg or you have an accident and, you know, we don't really have much, you know, choice about that unfortunate event, but it's then the second arrow and how we then react to it. That's really where we can take control and make the massive difference. And, you know, perhaps if you could like elaborate on that a little bit, because just for me, what I found fascinating about that is that my, my anxiety didn't go away, but it was the amount of time in the day that I actually spent dwelling on it reduced massively. And that was, you know, that's kind of for me personally where I got really fascinated by this. It's that in whatever it, whatever it was I was doing, am I enjoying this thought right now? No, okay, what can I do about it? Ah, I can do something about it. And the more I analyze it, it's like, there's a lot of times where I'm thinking about stuff that I don't want to think about. So, so for, you know, for, for our listeners, you're saying, oh, wow, this mindfulness thing sounds cool. But, you know, what, why for you was it so effective? And if you can dig into that primary and secondary, um, the suffering and the pain. The, pri the primary and secondary suffering um, model is underpins our whole approach. And it, it is based on this old Buddhist text. Uh, which is called the the story of the dart or the arrow so willem koiken when he talks about the first and second arrow 
that's uh, oh, that's its origin. Okay. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. a wonderful Buddhist teaching. And, and it goes like this, that when you experience a pain, it's as if you're pierced by an arrow or a dart. And the, un, the person with the untrained mind knows of no other response than to resist and resent that arrow. And then it's as if they're pierced by a second arrow. So now they have the pain of two arrows. Whereas the person who's trained their mind, they will still have the pain of the first arrow, because if you've got a body and a mind, you're still going to have uh, discomfort. But they do not resist and resent that arrow. So they're not pierced by the second arrow and they only have the pain of one arrow. Yeah, so it's a beautiful teaching and it's used quite a lot in, in, in secular mindfulness. So in the case of my, my life and, and people I work with with physical pain, the first arrow is the basic unpleasant sensations in the body. Yeah, so right now I've got unpleasant sensations in my lower back. I've got a kind of gnawing sort of bone pain in my lower back. I've got nerve pain down my legs, um, peculiar sensations in my feet. I've got all that going on. And that's what you call the first, the first arrow or primary suffering. Now, if I wasn't mindful, if I wasn't aware, if I hadn't learned how to work with myself, I would automatically resist that, tense against it, hold my breath, and then straight away I get more pain in the form of tension. So I have physical tension. So I've got the primary sensations plus, plus resistance, tightness, contraction, aversion. Almost always breath holding comes with this resistance. Then you get secondary tension and you've got this whole mass of the unpleasant sensations plus resistance plus breath holding plus tension and your pain gets worse emotionally it might be things like fear anxiety resentment um you know very very understandable and mentally it might be things like catastrophic thinking like oh my god it's terrible it's going to ruin my life i've had it forever i'm going to have it forever why did I ever agree to do this podcast? Oh, yeah. So what happens is straight away, you've got this whole um, complexity of all these different layers that, that manifests itself under this big word pain, big word pain. Yeah. But when you get mindful and you come closer, and this is what we learn to do in our program, you're just gradually edging in what's actually happening. And you realize, oh, actually, all that's happening is I've got unpleasant sensations in my lower back and my legs. That's it. Full stop. And you can strip away all these secondary layers. And in my own experience and the people that I've taught, it's the secondary suffering that's ruining your life. It's not the actual sensations in the body. Yeah, they're unpleasant. Like right now, they're unpleasant. But actually, I feel quite good. I haven't got lots of out of control thinking. I'm not holding my breath. I haven't got lots of secondary tension. And everything just sort of simplifies. But normally what, what I would have used to tell myself is, oh my God, my whole back's killing me. That's the kind of language I would have told myself. Well, actually my upper back's feeling quite good at the moment, my middle back feels fine. And my lower back's not so happy right now. There's a lot of discomfort there. But the story, my whole back's killing me, that is patently not true. So that I can let go of that thought process. I can Which let go of Which was previously of locked into the other thought, right? Exactly. As soon as you get any pain, immediately you've, you've, yeah. you've associated that. And because of that association, you've actually made it much worse. Yeah, you end up, you end up with what's often called in Buddhism, a whole mass of suffering, which is such a great description, just a whole mass of suffering. And so with mindfulness, you learn to tease all that apart. And I mean, this model of primary and secondary suffering is beautifully simple and highly effective yeah. and true. So for someone that may have you know, not meditated before uh, and they're hearing this, okay, primary and secondary. So can you help give a little advice on how, you know, one could meditate, you know, just because even the basic technique could last one person for the rest of their lives, right? You know, the... Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how profound it can be. So perhaps if we can get also get back to your story and how you got into meditation and how you picked it up and then maybe just incorporate it all together. Okay. Yeah. So um, when I was in hospital, when I was 25, I had this big experience this night. And then another day, the hospital chaplain came to see me, which was so interesting. I wasn't religious at all. 
um, I mean, I had been brought up Church of England, but I wasn't practicing. I was a bit cynical about all that. And it was almost like looking back, it was almost like he was an angel. It's like, wow, where did this man come from? And why did anyone think of sending the hospital chaplain to see me? Anyway, this man came, he was, he was this lovely elderly um, man. He took my hand and he got me to remember a time and a place when I'd been happy. Very simple instruction. And I remembered, I took my mind to the Southern Alps of New Zealand where I'd been ecstatically happy as a teenager before I injured my spine. I was brought up in New Zealand. I don't know if I've said that before. And I've been super sporty, very outdoorsy, and I, I adored the mountains. So I took my mind back to this place called Paradise. There is actually a place called Paradise, and oh, really? it is Paradise. Okay. Amazing. Being metaphorical, but okay. No. I know. Yeah. If you've watched Lord of the Rings and stuff, a lot of it's filmed around Paradise, actually. It's beautiful. Oh, okay. And, uh, and then I don't know how long this went on for, maybe 10 minutes. He ended the practice, and I felt really different. I felt subjectively different. Same girl lying in the same hospital bed, same body, but my, my qualitative experience had changed. And that was a complete revelation for me because it was like, oh my God, I've got this awareness quality. I've got a mind and my experience changes depending on what I do with my mind. Like I'd never even thought I had a mind up till then. You just live your life and you just exist and then one day you're going to die you know i'd never thought oh i've got a mind so that was incredible so when i left hospital i had a really good uh, social worker and i said to her i really want to meditate and again that was so weird like nobody meditated then this was in new zealand in 1985 i didn't know anybody that meditated but somehow i had this longing you know, to explore the mind, definitely something had been awoken in me. And so I just listened to these cassette tapes that she got me from the local library. I can't remember what they were now, probably relaxation tapes, meditation tapes, various things. And uh, then after about, I don't know, six months or a year, I went on a yoga weekend. Um, and for months, I was just rehabilitating myself, I could do hardly anything. But then I, I, I had a friend who, uh, Warwick, and he was, he was great, actually. He would always do interesting things. And he'd say to me, hey, I'm going on a yoga weekend. Do you want to come? And I'd always say yes. So Warwick got me off on this yoga weekend amongst our other activities. And so that's when I learned uh, some, some yoga postures. And they also, this particular tradition I went to, they did meditation. So I threw myself into that and really loved it. And then about, I don't know, a year later, Warwick said, Hey, I'm going on a Buddhist weekend. Do you want to come? So I said, Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm up for that. That's another thing that was quite interesting because my life had completely fallen apart. I didn't have much pride. So I really, I, I absolutely knew I do not know how to live my life. And that meant I was very open and receptive to other things. <clears throat> so that's quite interesting. I thought I'll try anything because I don't know how to live my life. So I ended up going on this Buddhist weekend retreat and I, then I really felt at home. I really felt, oh, these are, these are people that I really like. I like the approach. Um, the people were incredibly warm and friendly, unassuming, funny. And I'm, I remember thinking, I really want to be like this when I grow up. You know, there was a sense of exemplification of the fruits of practice. So then I threw myself into that. I wasn't working at that time because my back was so awful. So I had lots of time. I was on some state benefits. Um, and then after a, a couple of years, I decided to move to the UK to live in a retreat center over here. So I moved to uh, a, a women's retreat center in Shropshire and had about five years there. That was very intensive, lots of intensive meditation retreats, lots of study exploring the still under the buddhist buddhism. teaching yeah a lot a lot of a lot yeah, yeah. of uh, sort of study of buddhism yeah. yeah and then um so that takes me up to about 95 and then i had another big collapse physically it was very bleak time after that i came across the work of john kabat-zinn and interestingly i realized there were two things that i had not understood 
One was I didn't know how to take my awareness practice out of meditation and into daily life. So I was fairly good at meditating, sort of sitting still on a cushion for periods of time. But I I hadn't really figured out how to how to manage my pain in daily life. So I had a whole tendency of overdoing it and then crashing, which is incredibly common, I've come to realize. So at Breathworks, we've got a whole a whole module around what we call pacing. So that was the first thing. And then the second thing, and I really learned this from John, is that sort of subtly, I'd been using my meditation practice to escape. So I've been trying to meditate to get away from my experience and to some, when I look back on it, it was probably some big fantasy to some extent. So I've been using meditation to try to generate some sort of parallel universe to dwell in that was more pleasant than this one. And John's teaching is very much about turning towards what's actually happening. You know, turn towards, okay, here I am in this body. I've got these sensations. How can I change my relationship with those sensations? So that was the missing piece of the jigsaw, really. Yep. Um, how to take into daily life and how to turn towards my experience. So I, I, I had another few years that were, I was pretty much housebound. I was waiting for more major surgery. Um, bit of a dark night of the soul, but still following this sort of what you could call the golden thread of my life of what is the mind and so on. And then I decided to start Breathworks. And I I started around 2000 because I really wanted to help people like me. And all the meditation training that I'd had (coughs) in the yoga tradition and in the Buddhist tradition, there wasn't really any guidance. Well, how how do you walk this path when your body's broken? Nobody was really able to help me with that in a very practical way. People were very kind, but I thought, well, actually, I've worked this out now in the school of lonely <laughs> kind of pioneering, figuring out how do you exist in this body and free the mind. So I thought I really want to help people like me. So that's why I started Breathworks. This is the Mindful News Podcast. I'm your host, Guy. And in the second half, we're going to dig in a bit deeper and discuss what is consciousness and what it means to be human. More meditations, podcasts and videos are mindfulnews.uk. So explain to listen, so what Breathworks is doing now, you know, what has it evolved to become in those 20 years? Um, I know there's a bit of, you do a bit of corporate, I see the NHS tag there as well. So if you could, yeah, what is Breathworks and, you know, how have you seen the evolution throughout the time from going when no one's talking about mindfulness or meditation or in the, in the scientific mindfulness way as they, as they do now to now where it's, you know, very mainstream media, you know, you know, yeah. very almost fashionable. Like there's like mm. in the ex- executives are doing it, celebrities are doing it, fighters are doing it, athletes and people with pain and, and stuff. It's very, very much in, um, in society today. Yeah, well, I I often say I probably couldn't have done Breathworks 10 years earlier because the world wasn't ready for it. I might not have been able to do it 10 years later because everyone was doing it. So again, the time was timing was almost miraculous because I started to do it just when mindfulness was coming into the more sort of popular awareness. Um, So initially it was just me and two colleagues uh, running courses in Manchester which is where I lived. And very quickly, I realized that it was effective, it worked. And that three of us working in Manchester, we were going to teach, I don't know, maybe 50, 70 people a year. And there's millions of people that need it, millions, probably billions around the world that need it. Something like one in five people live with chronic pain, you know, it's, it's huge. So in 2004, we made a, a, a decision to focus on teacher training. So to okay. become a teacher training organization. Teacher, so then we, yeah, so then we train yeah. others so they can deliver. So we've now got something like 600 teachers in something like 40 countries. I'm not sure. Amazing. I haven't got the latest figures, but it, so that's where we, what we've done in 20 years, which is incredibly moving. Um, my books are in 17 languages, so that's really good. Um, yes, we're doing some corporate work. We work with the NHS. Uh, we're now a charity. We started off as a, a something called a community interest company, which is a 
sort of third sector, but for various reasons, we decided to move over to be a charity, which is really great. We give away more money. So we give away bursaries and scholarships because we don't want anyone to be excluded from learning these skills for financial reasons. So that's always been very, very important to me. And we've got a new program which is aimed at people where English isn't their first language. So people with lower literacy, immigrants, things like that, a program called Take Back Your Life. So that's really exciting. And that's been developed by one of our graduates who's uh, who works in those communities. We've got an internship for people of colour to try and have more people of colour teachers because it's generally still a pretty white middle class occupation. But really the way I'd answer your question is 22 years ago, my motivation was to help people. And now my motivation is to help people. It's not really changed at all. You know, I really want to keep my feet on the ground. And uh, we've got, we've now got a, an online community platform, which is wonderful. And there's a group on there called Managing Pain and Illness this little pain and illness group and I do it within a the breathworks there. website or is this something on social media how do how if does you go into the, if you go on if you go onto the breathworks website and then there's a tab that says our community right and you click on that and you can join our it's called a community of practice and it's free to join so we're wanting to do more and more things that are free um yeah so I do a session once a month and I don't know maybe get 30 40 people and I totally love that because it's like going right back to the roots where it's just me with a bunch of people with pain and illness exploring how mindfulness can help. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And just got to say, you know, congratulations, you know, being fellow fans of mindfulness and just, you know, and also wanting to help others, you know, because, you know, that's, that is the goal of, of goals, you know, for me to help people and, you know, to yes. do it through something like mindfulness mm. is, you know, I too just happen to have stumbled across something that's just so powerful in, in, in helping people because like you said, one in five have chronic pain. But, you know, it'd be fair to say that five in five have discontinuous thinking. Yeah, exactly. Right? And so your point earlier on being about, oh, I've got a mind. And it's like, let, let's not undermine the significance of that phrase because that means that you lived your whole life not realizing that you had one. And not yeah. living, not living, and not only that, but so many, in fact, most of the other, you know, people on this planet are also in that point where they don't realize that they have a mind. Hmm. Right. And I think that's the profound comment that you made, like, oh, oh, I've got a mind. It's like, yeah, none of us realize that we have a mind. <laughs> and that's kind of like the, the mind blowing thing about this. It. Like, what? It's totally, it's totally mind blowing. Yeah. It's, it's totally mind blowing. It's like, Oh, it's like, oh, as a thought arise, you observe it. Okay, what do you mean it arise? Where does it arise from? You know, why yeah, does it arise? who's observing? Who's, who's the observer? Like John always says, you know, the awareness versus the observing versus, you know. Yeah. And so all of these amazing questions, but it highlights this problem that most of us, 99.99999, are living their lives without, I don't want to use the word control. I don't want to say that they haven't got a mind, but it, it's almost in this where whatever the track is playing, I'm just going to listen to without realizing yeah, well, it's a, it's a, most people haven't had the good fortune to um be introduced to their own minds you know i was lucky enough with this chap yeah. and he introduced me to my own mind but what the fact gift. that it's so simple not simple but the fact that it's just so readily available and it's right there it's like how does not how does not everyone know. know this it's I like know. the matrix just right under your nose and you just, just sit and observe go, oh that's a thought and that's a thought and that's a thought so then when you do take it out into daily life, like I always say, it's like the wax on, wax off on the cushion. But the whole point is like when you go out, it's like, yeah, you're going to have all these thoughts. And in that moment, can you notice them rather than just blindly following them? Yeah. And as, as Paul Gilbert, who's done a lot of work in compassion, you know, he he's he says it's chaotic in there, meaning <laughs> yeah. in the brain. Yeah. And that we're designed for survival, not pleasure. You yeah. know, we, there's a lot of, of research emerging around the nervous system and how a lot of us have got dysregulated nervous systems and we're just mm -hmm. in this kind of hyper aroused state all the time. We're in a threat state all the time. Yes. Because that's our default setting. Yep. That's the default setting. It's survival is paramount. But we can learn, we can change that through training, through practice. 
and one of the phrases which I often use is, is you can get your mind working with you rather than against you. So when someone says to me, what's mindfulness? I say, it's getting your mind working with you rather than against you. Yeah. And that's it's so easy to get caught up in that autopilot mode, resistance mode, and just pushing, pushing through. I've heard you talk in the past about, uh, I heard one interview, you mentioned something about a, annoying moment where you were at a, a red light like come on i need to get home and i've experienced that you know after a gig and i just the sciatic it's like a, a pit bull you know latched onto your leg and, and sometimes to the point where you just can't sit um, yeah. and i remember screaming myself at a red light in the past and it, it it's so easy and then the pain just accumulates from the resistance so yeah i just i love that and i'm hearing a lot of you're not alone. And, and I love that about you. It's, it's it, we're not alone. We're so. not alone. Yeah. I mean, I, and, and another big part of my approach, my teaching, what, what I try to bring into my life is love and kindness. You know, that mindfulness isn't a cool, aloof sort of analytical activity. It can be, but I think true mindfulness is very warm, very rich, very, kind very empathetic you know that's very very dear to me all those qualities yeah and do you have a routine i'm just curious a morning routine um many of us we wake up in the morning and it's like the, the roughest part of the day do you have a way to sort of what's your routine do you have a way to kind of ease into your day of do you get right into practice or or, or how do you go about your day? Well, I've become a big um, convert to routine, actually. I'm not naturally a very routine person, but now I'm a, a, a tremendous believer in the power of routine. So, you know, go to bed at roughly the same time, get up at roughly the same time. And then I do Qigong every morning. So I do some, effectively, some kind of warm-up exercises, which I really need to do. And luckily, my husband's also a practitioner, so we do that. We go outside and do the qigong together in nature, which is really nice. And then I meditate for, you know, forty minutes to an hour in the morning. So that's my routine. So that's a good, you know, the qigong might take half an hour. It's a good hour and a half. And um, so I, and I don't get up particularly early. We probably get up at seven thirty, something like that. So it's not like I'm getting up at five in the morning. So I try to go to bed, you know, 10. I try to be in bed at 10 and then lights out at 11, ideally. And then usually wake up. I often don't use an alarm because I, I just naturally wake up about 7, 7.30, get up, do my qigong, have a big glass of water, and then do my, my meditation practice. And now I do mindfulness practice, but I also do a Buddhist practice. Um, because I being a being a Buddhist is a big part of my life. And one of the things I do in my meditation practice is I visualize a particular Buddhist figure who is the embodiment of love. So it's a big love practice. And then I receive imagined blessings from this figure. And that's a that's wonderful. Yeah. But I do a lot of body awareness, you know, coming into the present, being with the breath letting go of resistance, softening, yielding, softening, yielding. Oh, just just being with what is, with kindness, with if I'm in a lot of pain, just try to be tender around that. Notice the resistant mind, letting the love. Beautiful. Wonderful. Well, we've got about just under 10 minutes left. And so, you know, I just wanted to go back to an earlier question that, um, that we had mentioned the the question being, you know, who are you and what is consciousness? So if you were asking those questions many, many years ago, you know, where have you, where has that journey? What, what is, what is the answer, Vijimala? Oh. <laughs> the answer is that it's impossible to answer in concepts, but I'll, I'll sort of have a go at yeah, please. something. Please do. So the way I understand it now is if we, if you think about, this word mind that it's it's a finger pointing to the moon so it's 
it's it's a placeholder for an experience that can cover a very wide range so it can cover a quality of awareness which is boundless infinite without any edges like a clear blue sky completely radiant clear blue sky full of love full of clarity full of ease so that's that's mind that's an aspect of mind what we call, might call big mind or free mind and then there's the kind of um individual side of that so it's not like i mean obviously i am sitting here talking to you so it's not like i'm just this big blue sky who doesn't exist at all here i am talking to you and you know i can see myself on the screen i've got i've got a particular appearance but the mistake that we make is to um turn this experience of let's let's call it me you know the me sitting here the mistake we make is to turn that into a fixed entity something that's got a, a sort of solidity because if i if i if i turn my awareness in like who am i right now what can i find me anywhere i won't find me i just find a flow of sensations a flow of thoughts a flow of emotions flowing through the moments arising and passing and dependence on conditions yeah so i mean i've i've got a body it's sitting here i have my lunch so i'm not hungry so i've i've got clarity because i'm fueled up so there's all these conditions rising and passing arising and passing so i do exist but i don't exist the way i used to think i existed so i exist as a continuum rather than a thing and well, the way I'm most also... of the world believes us to exist right not just the way that you used to think but the way exactly that, the way that exactly. everyone in the world because when we talk about the ego you know we think it's something exactly. you know oh you're being egotistical because of this but it's yeah. actually you know to even exist as this thing you yeah. know and, and we just to take that for granted that that's what it is you know we exist exactly in, so in what we're form. doing is we're mistakenly imposing mm -hmm. sort of solidity onto this flow of experience turning into a big thing and then we get very attached to that big thing that doesn't have any actual ultimate existence and then we defend it like mad and then we suffer it's pretty much what the buddha taught so it's like i am here but i'm here as a flow and also i have the possibility of um experiencing what i sometimes call blue sky mind experiencing a quality of awareness which is free boundless open loving and i can do those two things at the same time on a good day so here i am and at the same time there's there's um something bigger something much much bigger then that's really mysterious so that that's impossible to really explain but i know there's something much much bigger here right now and also I'm here, I'm here right now as a flow of conditions. So sometimes I like to describe it to myself in, in my teaching that um, all three of us here, we're all expressions of the radiant nature of reality. We're all expressions of the radiant nature of mind. Yeah. The sort of temporary coming together of conditions, but there's something truly radiant and yeah. luminous um, available as well. Yeah, something like consciousness experience itself through the, you know, us, some, something along those lines. Yeah, yeah, Cause, yeah. Because then, the, then the question of like, well, what is consciousness? Yeah, well, nobody knows that. Exactly, nobody, right? Nobody knows what consciousness is. So if anyone comes on a podcast and says they Oh, no, 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 but, but exactly. He's like, say, no. <laughs> if we go back through evolution, you know, did consciousness, at what point in our evolution does consciousness and, and you know, even does... We don't we have no idea right and you know are we all tapped into the same consciousness do we does it originate from the mind or are we all it's um but it's these are the wonderful questions that you know at the end of or during your mindfulness growth and understanding it's like i know i mean that's really it really blows it's the mind, beautiful yeah. Yeah. yeah so and i think i think where i've got to with all that to some extent is i'm interested in that of course mm -hmm. but what i'm most interested now is how am i living my life yeah. you know very pragmatic very practical am i kind am i open do i remember there's a radiant nature of consciousness always here 
mm-hmm. can I allow that to pour through me into the world? Yeah. yeah, I mean, for me, that's more interesting these days than metaphysical speculation. Yeah, metaphysical speculation is interesting, but I'm no, I'm not as interested in that now as I was right. when I was younger. I notice, which I find interesting, and I sometimes think it's just because I'm getting old and. Yeah the famous postmenopausal female brain that can't retain very much. So it might be that, but I think it's also deepening practice, deepening practice, everything simplifies and yeah. um, becomes more immediate. Yeah, because we could have this amazing experience and think, yeah, you know, this is not really me, you know, I'm, I'm bigger than this, but then you wake up and you have to go to work, right? And then you wake up and you've got the, the pains and so, it's like, exactly. yeah, there is that, but we wake up in this, you know, for some reason we wake up in the human body and we, you know, we play this game, but we understand yeah, that, think, that that's something much bigger and more profound where it's, you know, not as Guy or Vigimara or, or John. I Fulbright. know, but I think the danger there is what, what we always do is we go into dualism. That's mm-hmm. what human, the human mind does. And if I think back to my earlier years of meditation that I was saying were quite escapist, that's because I wanted this free state you know i wanted to be big mind i wanted to not be in this horrible body and that was delusional as well because actually i am in this body Mm -hmm. so it's very mysterious like it's a boat it's it's not an either or but it's a both and yes yeah yeah it's both and we're here Mm -hmm. right now and i need to love this body and this body is not what i think it is it's not a thing it's not static it's not an object it's a flow of experience and i need to love that and i need to be present and embody that so it's so it's, so, it's, it's yeah. we never get to the end of this exploration but i think the question's amazing and i just think it's a wonderful way to end the podcast so again you know thank you so much for joining and sharing your your wonderful wisdom and you just have a wonderful way of telling stories and you know so i can, I can see why you've had so much success and been able to to reach so many people and share this wonderful wisdom well, thank you so much for having me. I've loved talking to you both. Yeah, really wonderful. And thanks for thanks for all the work you put into the podcast. I know po- podcasts look easy, but they're not. They they are a bit tricky. But we'd love, <laughs> to, you know, we'd love at some point, maybe next year, just to to reach back out and maybe have a conversation where we can, you know, just just again dig into some of the. You know, the yeah, for sure. I don't. I'd, I'd be really the, the, the deeper stuff that. that is, you know, now that we've had this introductory call about your background, but now we. We can, yeah, yeah, for sure. That That would be fun. That would be real fun. Yeah, all right, fantastic. Well, we're we're on the hour now. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful weekend. And Jonathan, thank you so much for helping to to co host and to set this up. All right, yeah, brilliant. Thank you both so much. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks for making it this far and showing your support and love to the podcast. A big thanks to Be Present Coaching for their support. Find out more about their masterclass mindfulness courses at bepresent.uk. I'm your host, Guy, and this is the Mindful News Podcast. If you've taken something away from today's episode, please go ahead and share the link with a friend. Until next week.